Father, thank you. For loving us so. That you would send your only begotten son. Who was in your bosom. You sent him into this world that you created that had turned from you, that had fallen into sin. And you sent him here to buy us back and to bring us back to you. We're so glad that the mission was accomplished. Satan tried to stop Jesus when he was two years old. And Herod killed the children, but he couldn't stop your son. He tried to get your son to disqualify himself in the wilderness by turning stones into bread, but your son resisted the enemy and he stood the test. He tried to have mobs stone him and throw our Jesus off of cliffs. But Father, you kept him. You kept him safe. And even on Passion Week, you allowed your son to suffer on the cross for our sin because it was time. And no man took his life, but he laid it down. And we thank you that he took it back up again. And we are saved by the blood of the risen Lamb of God, Jesus. Now, Lord, help me preach. Help your people to hear and help us all to obey. Thank you for this moment of worship. It makes us look forward to heaven where we get to see you for ourselves. My God. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of our redemption. He gives us a little taste of glory divine from time to time. And for those who are struggling today and maybe their burdens were so heavy that they chose not to worship you, I pray, God, as we sang today that you would take them deeper still to not be ruled by their emotions or their circumstances, but to bless you anyhow. And for those who may be with us today who don't understand our joy, don't understand our peace, our shout, our praise, because they're not born again. I pray that today would be the day of salvation because you're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. So today, Lord, would you save the lost person today? Thank you, Lord. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8? And I'm going to preach a message. Uh, it's a continuation from last week entitled, No Matter the Facts, I'm All In. Part 2. No matter what the facts say. I'm all in. I won't be turned around. I won't give up. I won't faint. I won't quit. I'm all in because my God went all in for me. I'm all in, no matter the facts, no matter what the facts say. I'm all in. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. We skip over now to verse 
49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. Well, we were introduced to the facts last week. And the facts were a man named Jairus, a man of prominence, a man of power, prestige, and even wealth had a problem. And he had a problem that money couldn't fix. He had a problem that his relationships and connections could not fix. He was in a place that he even had to press through and press beyond his Judaism or his religiosity to reach out to, or should I say beg before, this carpenter, this lowly carpenter from Nazareth, the one who was despised and rejected by the community. Jairus didn't care what people thought. He had a need, and he had heard about Jesus and how Jesus heals and how Jesus is able to deliver people from sicknesses. And when it's your 12-year-old girl that's hurting, you got to do what you got to do. So the facts were she was sick. We don't know what kind of sickness it was, but whatever it was, it was a sickness that led ultimately unto her death. She was so sick that when Jairus had left his house to go to where Jesus was, before he could get Jesus back to the house, his daughter had died. And so the facts were presented to Jairus from someone in his house who said, your daughter is dead. That's a fact. But then the gentleman offered his opinion and he said, do not trouble the teacher anymore. We believe that he had ability to heal the sick. But this someone from Jairus' house obviously didn't believe that Jesus had the power to raise the dead. And I don't know where you stand with Jesus. But I do hope that you believe in a Jesus who has all power, even power over the last and greatest enemy, which is death, that he can rebuke death. And in this narrative, he will, and we'll get there in a couple weeks to even when he raises this girl from the dead. But last week, we talked about how facts focus on what is seen. Facts focus on what's seen. Facts focus on what can be measured, what can be counted, it's based on empirical, uh, quantitative information. It adds up in the natural realm. It's a fact. And so the thing about facts is that facts respect science, and facts respect mathematics, and facts respect the world of biology. Facts focus on the natural realm, what is seen. But facts often produce fear. Facts are true, but they're not always the truth. And so as Christians, we live in this world, but we're not of the world. We, we see what's happening in the natural realm, but we're not necessarily governed by what happens in the natural realm because we serve a God who, when he walked in the natural realm, he often confronted things that were factual and he turned them around and he defied logic and science and reason. Those things are called miracles. And a miracle is whenever God enters into time and space and he does what is unnatural or should I say supernatural. And he turns it around, and the only one who can get credit for it is not chance, but it's God. God, who created order, is able to step into order and turn things around for his glory. 
So the facts, they can be overridden by faith in a God who can do the impossible. The facts say one thing, but what's God saying? The facts say this, but what is God able to do? He is still able to do miracles because Jesus, Hebrews 13, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus told Jairus three things in this passage. After he had heard the bad report, the bad report that was a factual report, Jesus told him three things because Jesus knew what was going on in the heart of Jairus as soon as Jairus heard that report from someone in his house, and there's always somebody in our lives who's going to speak a word. It may be a factual word, but the way in which they say it, it's going to be a negative word. And then they're going to intermingle their opinion into it. And like Jairus, fear that spirit is going to come upon you and begin to seize you. And like we said last week, there's no way we can be full of fear and full of faith at the same time. One must dominate the other. And as people who have been saved by faith, we are called to walk by faith and we are to be full of faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I want to please him, but fear is a spirit that comes from hell. And this spirit wants to control us so that we walk in fear and not in faith. So there's a war that goes on in your flesh. And if you're ruled by what you see, then fear will win out every time. And the facts will fuel the fear. But you have Jesus who was standing right there by Jairus. You got a Jesus who's standing right there by you. When you hear the report, he's saying to you the same thing he said to Jairus, and that is, do not be afraid. Only believe. She will be made well. In other words, this will work out. And so Jesus is here with us when those things come upon us and we're tested. It's a testing of our faith. We're in a trial. We're in a storm. We're in a tough season. But Jesus is with you. He will never leave you and he will not forsake you and he will not keep his mouth shut. He's speaking. But which voice is louder? The voice of fear, which is driven by facts. Well, the voice of the Messiah, the voice of the Son of God, which we receive by faith. I love how Mark's gospel gives us this uh, narrative here because this story is found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each author gives their own little twist or their own addition under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit concerning this story. And I love how Mark says it that when Jesus heard what uh, someone from Jairus' house has said. Uh, the Bible says, let's see here, in Mark chapter 6, verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Here it is, verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Because Jesus said, look, I can't let that thought fester in you. I can't let what you heard dominate you. So we've got to take that thought captive, and we've got to do it right now. We can't be passive. We've got to be aggressive. We've got to be intentional. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. So Jesus spoke immediately. Don't let that lodge in your spirit, what you just heard. I know it's a fact, but it's got some opinion in it. It's basically saying give up. But I'm telling you. Don't be afraid. We learned last week that was the negative heiress imperative, which meant that that was a command to stop being afraid right now. And Jesus is saying that to us. Stop being afraid right now. Stop being ruled and governed by your emotions right now. Because as you're operating in fear, you will not have the peace of God. As you're operating in fear, you will be full of anxiety. And when you feel that coming upon you, Jesus is saying, stop being afraid right now. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Then he goes on and he tells Jairus, only believe. 
And that is in the aorist imperative, and that's a call to a specific action, which means to start doing this right now. Start believing right now. Stop being afraid right now and start believing right now. Everything comes down to a test of faith. Are we going to believe in a God who not only believes in us, but a God who has a track record that is proven? He is the rock who will not roll. Believe. Jairus, I can hear Jesus saying to him, you have one job. Believe. I'm not giving you two jobs. You got one job in the midst of this storm. Only believe, brother. Jesus, what was Jairus supposed to believe? You told him to believe. What was he supposed to believe? You believe that because I am here, I've got this under control. You believe that I am God and I am God all by myself. As a matter of fact, when Jesus told him to believe, there was no panic in Christ. Jesus wasn't tripping. Jesus wasn't floundering. So in other words, believe like me. Be steady like me. And as we're going through our trials and tests, the Lord is saying to us, believe because I am the Lord on the throne. I'm not wondering what's going to happen. I've already decreed what's going to happen. I know the end from the beginning. Look, look, I'm cool. You be cool. Believe the gospel. The Bible lets us know in Romans chapter 8 that if God did not spare his only son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? I gave you my son. I can take care of a light pill. I gave you my son. I can take care of the fact you need gasoline in your car. I gave you my son. I can give you peace of mind. I gave you my son. I can heal you of cancer. I gave you my son. I can get you a house. I gave you my son. I can work on your husband. I gave you my son. So stop exalting this stuff above me. Jairus, I'm with you. Regardless of who is against you, no matter the report. And so he told him to believe. There must be something powerful about belief. If Jesus is going to say that's all you got to do is believe, there must be something powerful about belief. So no wonder the enemy keeps attacking our faith and keeps attacking our belief. But again, we must attack him as well. You see, Facts cannot stop God, but our unbelief can hinder his work. I'm going to teach and share something with you right now. You need to listen and pay attention. Facts can't stop God, but our unbelief can hinder the work of God in our lives. Look at Mark chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Mark chapter 6. Verses 4 through 6. Do you have it? But Jesus said to them, this is people in his hometown. He was raised in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, which is in Galilee. He came back home, and the people were like, we know his mother, we know his brothers and his sisters. He can't be the Messiah. They're looking at the facts. They, they, we, we know where he comes from. And so they were rejecting him. So the Bible says that Jesus said to them, the people in his hometown, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. You've taken me for granted. Verse 5. Now, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their un belief. Two times it's mentioned in the Bible of when Jesus marvels. One, he marvels here in Mark 6 at a community's unbelief. He's marveling. You should see it as a privilege that the Messiah has been raised within your borders. But rather than seeing it as a privilege, you're trying to figure it out and you're leaning on your own understanding and it doesn't add up to you when he's making these claims. So the facts You don't have enough faith, so the facts are driving the people in the hometown. And the other time where he marveled was when a centurion had faith that Jewish people didn't even have. When he said to Jesus, my servant is sick, but dig this, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. 
I am a man who understands authority. I tell one person to go and they go. I tell another person to come and they come. Jesus, all you got to do because you have all authority is just speak a word and my servant will be made well. Jesus said, my, 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 I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And he marveled at that man's belief. So as I live my day, I go throughout my day, I'm like, Lord, I want you to marvel today. Not at my unbelief, but I want you to marvel at my belief that I'm going to trust you. I'm going to hold on to you. I won't let you go until you bless me. And so unbelief can hinder what God wants to do. So the Bible says he didn't do no mighty work there. He just healed a few sick people. And so we wonder, man, how come we don't see God's movement in our lives like we see him moving in other people's lives? How come we don't see these answers to prayer in our lives when we see God doing miracles and uh, revealing his glory in other folks' lives? And it may be because we're asking and we're wavering as we're asking. In the book of James, it talks about when you have a problem, when you're going through trials. Not only should you count it all joy, but you should go to God. And the Bible says when you ask God for wisdom about the trial or the test that you're in, James, the Lord's half-brother, says when you ask, ask in faith, not doubting. For the person who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed. Let not that person think that he will get anything from the Lord. So when we go to God, let's have faith. I can't do it, but I know that you can do it. This thing has reminded me, like Jairus, I can't fix it. So I am not too proud to beg. I'm not too proud to get on my knees in your presence and bless you and honor you and worship you and trust you. I have faith in you. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that God is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So it's time to... Have faith, and, and, and I don't want it to be said that God didn't do a great work in my life because I was so busy leaning on my own understanding. I was so busy looking at the facts that I missed having faith in him. Yeah, he healed a couple of things in my life, but that big thing, that, that great work, that mighty work, he's not doing it because I'm hindering his work in my life because I don't believe he can do it. And if I don't believe he can do it, why should God do it? But if I believe he can do it, watch out. Because now I'm going to start speaking to some mountains in his name. And he's going to move these mountains out of the way. And we're going to toss them together into the sea. He's looking for people with faith. Not just people with smarts. Because sometimes evangelicals, we get so much smarts up here, we don't have faith. But you would think that the more word we get, the more faith we get. But usually the more word we get, the more constipated and stuck up we get. And we think we know God and got him figured out. And God is like, you can't figure me out on your best day. Because the more I know, the less I find that I know. He blows my mind. Has unbelief hindered God's work in your life? What about in the church? I want Jesus to do a mighty work in this church. And I loved how a few weeks ago when we gave the financial report, we put those numbers up, and basically the church is from week to week and month to month. Oh, it's been a long time since it's been like that for Strong Tower. But some of y'all are saying, man, that's my life. That's how we get down at my house week to week, month to month. <laughs> Our savings went down, and, you know, we don't have that to lean on. It's good to have savings, good to be good stewards. And, and thank God we had savings because when the emergencies came, the money went to, the, to take care of the needs. God provided the needs. And now we're week to week, month to month. And I know some of y'all looked at those numbers up there and said, we ain't going to make it. But what did Elder Gary Bell say? He said, now, these are the facts. But guess what? The elders aren't panicking. You don't want to be around a group of leaders who are panicking. You don't want a president who panics. You, you don't want a boss on your job panicking. You don't want to get in a huddle and a quarterback looks scared just like you look scared. No, we believe God to do great things. It's just a setup for a resurrection. It's just a setup for God to show his glory so that when he comes through, we know who did it. 
Now, believing is important. He tells us, man, believe. That's all you got to do. Believing is important because whatever we believe, here it is, is what we're going to speak. Whatever's in your heart is going to come out your mouth. If unbelief is in your heart and doubt and worry is in your heart, unbelief, doubt, and worry is going to be in your mouth. It amazes me. We who are people who are saved by faith and be people who walk by faith, we can trust Jesus who died 2,000 years ago. Never seen him, but we trust him for eternal life. But we can't trust him for the next five minutes. Why is that? Because we started off in faith, but then we're going to pick up reason and works and performance. And No, no, you've fallen from grace. You've fallen from faith. You've gotten too smart as an American Christian, which is why when you kick it with people around the world who don't have half the stuff we've got, they've got so much more faith than we have because sometimes the stuff can make you think that you've got this security. It's a false security. My hope is built on nothing less then my TV, my car, my job, my <laughs> Believing is important. I'm learning this, you know. Capital One has these commercials. Samuel L. Jackson, he's in commercials, he's in movies, he's making all the money in Hollywood, and he's on these commercials, and he's asking the question, what's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? And, and that's how the world lives. What's in your wallet? But I'm here to say that there's something far more important than what's in your wallet. It's what's in your mouth. Nah, you don't want to go with me, but I'll go by myself. I take a couple of people with me because I'm going this way. What's in your mouth is more important than what's in your wallet. Because at the end of Habakkuk, it talks about we don't have no sheep. The stalls are empty. The trees ain't bearing no fruit. But I will bless the Lord. It ain't what's in your wallet. It's what's in your mouth. That's why I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will continually be in my mouth. Everything that is within me. So when I get to worship, he's getting everything. No little hand. He's getting everything. He's good. You got to see 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul has just been talking about how there's death and there's resurrection. There's death and there's resurrection. And as ministers of the gospel, we die all the time, but God gives us life all the time. And so he says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I love how faith is called a spirit just like fear is called a spirit. Since we have the same spirit of faith in terms of resurrection from the dead, he says, and this spirit of faith is according to what is written. So he's going to quote from the Old Testament here. So this Faith is not based on uh, uh, some kind of imaginary world or faith in faith. No, this is faith in what is written, the word of God. Paul says, I believed and therefore I spoke. He's quoting from the Old Testament. And so he says, we also believe and therefore speak about resurrection that this thing is going to turn around. It's going to get better. Oh, I wish Hezekiah Walker was here right now because he starts singing, it's going to get better. It's got to get better. It's going to get better. So I'm going to speak it right now by faith. This is going to, because this is not the end for me. No matter what they say, no matter what goes on, no matter what doctor's report I get, resurrection is going to happen. We know it's going to happen in the life to come. He can also do it here. I'm speaking life. Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. I'm going to speak life. Before Muhammad Ali defeated Sonny Liston, people thought he was going to get annihilated by Sonny Liston the bear. But this young brash man from Louisville that they called the Louisville Lip. He came out and he said, I'm not only going to beat Sonny Liston, but I'm going to knock him out in the eighth round. Nobody had ever heard a boxer do that before. Say that not only was he going to win, but he was going to knock you out in a particular round. Well, Ali was so full of himself and so confident in his ability, he knocked Sonny Liston out in the first round. And he declared that he was the greatest. Well, before Evander Holyfield fought Mike Tyson, I, I was afraid for Evander Holyfield. 
he had the heart problem and stuff, and, and Tyson has this reputation. I mean, he's a bad man. Everybody in boxing was afraid of Mike Tyson, except for Evander Holyfield. Because Evander Holyfield was like, look, it's boxing, and I'm going to hit him as much as he's trying to hit me. We used to spar together when we were teenagers, so I know Mike. And so he spoke with his mouth. I thought he was crazy when I was watching the fight. He was like, I'm going to win. And he said to his manager, set up the match. I know Mike and I will beat him. Before they fought, he said with his mouth, I'm going to beat him. If he had said he's going to kill me in that ring, what would have happened in that ring? He'd have got killed in that ring. Because our words have so much power. If you say you're going to fail that test in school, Strong chance you're going to fail that test. If you say, man, I'm not going to make it, why should you make it? Before David fought Goliath, somebody said, I need some Bible. Oh, I got a bunch of Bible. I had to cut this sermon way down. I got so much Bible. But before David defeated Goliath, he told the people in the company, I'll beat them. He told King Saul, look, I done fought lions and bears tougher than him. I take him out. And they looking at him like he's crazy. You're just a teenager. You're just a boy. How can you fight against him? He's been fighting since he was young. David said, y'all don't understand. Y'all talking in the natural realm, focusing on facts. I'm going to let you know about the spiritual realm. He's defied the armies of the living God. He's got to go. And I'll take him out. And because none of them had faith, because if they had faith, they would have got on the battlefield. But every day for 40 days, they would get together as an army and do a battle cry and not do no fighting. Every day, huh, nobody go down and fight. If you don't go down and fight, you don't have no faith. It's like saying amen and doing nothing on Monday. It's like saying hallelujah and not trusting God on Tuesday. David said, I'll go. David said, and then when he walks out there to Goliath, oh, it reminds me of some of my Kung Fu movies. When they tell you what they're going to do to you before they do it to you. David says to Goliath, this day the Lord will, not might, he will deliver you into my hand. And then he said, and I'm going to cut your head off. So when he defeated the giant and cut his head off, he did what he said he was going to do because he trusted in God by faith and the miracle of God occurred and it overrode the facts that were present. And God is saying, I just wish I had a few more like that. Who stopped talking about how big the problems are and start talking about how big God is. Man, we faint at the sign of conflict. So Ali defeated Liston and Holyfield defeated Tyson and David defeated Goliath. But we are here today because Jesus defeated death. And he said, I'm going up to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. And his boys are listening, but they ain't really listening. And uh, they're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. So Jesus called his resurrection before he even died. And so as we're to speak by faith, what is God calling us to speak before it happens? You start doing this, they will think you're crazy. But guess what? They think you're crazy anyway. So go ahead and fulfill the prophecy. The devil uses his mouth against you. It's time for us to use our mouths against him. That's rhema word right there. That, that's fresh off the presses in prayer. One day I'm on my knees talking to God and the accuser of the brethren was working hard against me. That's what Satan is called. He's called the accuser of the brethren. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, he's before God's throne day and night accusing Christians. Now, I'm so glad my defense lawyer is there. Every time Satan says guilty, Jesus says innocent. Every time Satan says guilty, Jesus says paid for by my blood. Every time Satan says he, he doesn't deserve to be here, Jesus says, no, I've justified him. But even though the defense lawyer is there, that don't stop Satan from accusing day and night, running his mouth, 
And not only will he accuse us before God, he will accuse us before other people and accuse us before ourselves. That's what he does. He's an accuser. He uses his mouth to slander. He uses his mouth to lie. He uses his mouth to deceive. He uses his mouth to tempt. He uses his mouth to blaspheme. He uses his mouth to murder your vision and your dreams and your prayer life and your hopes. He keeps using his mouth. And God is saying, you need to start using your mouth too. How about you quote some scripture? When last time you had a Bible study with the devil? Okay, you want to keep talking about my past? Let me take you to Revelation and talk to you about your future. What you got to say, devil? The Lord's going to cast you into the lake of fire. You are defeated. The Bible says that Jesus defeated you on Calvary, making you a public spectacle in the book of Colossians. You want to keep talking? Let's keep on talking. Matter of fact, I'm going to use my mouth to bless the Lord. I'm going to worship the Lord. Now, the Bible says that Satan is a serpent. Now, there's this thing in nature called the snake line, and that means that snakes can't handle certain altitudes. And so when people go camping in the mountains, they recognize that there's a snake line. And so the higher up they go, they know the snakes can't come up no higher. So that's where they set up their camp because they don't want no snakes getting in their camp. So they set their camps up high. When an eagle is hungry and tries to get a snake, it swoops down and gets the snake, but then takes it up into heavenly places because the eagle knows by nature that the altitude is going to shut the snake down rendering it uh, without power and so God is saying to us when the devil is working on you take him up higher take him up past the snake line he can't handle worship that's why he got kicked out of heaven because he wasn't being worshipped God was being worshipped he's on your back you start worshipping God you start blessing God you start praising God you start fasting you start praying quoting scripture he's got to leave you because as you draw nigh to God he'll draw nigh to you resist the devil and he will flee use your mouth That's why I'm not going to let you testify for me. I'm not going to let you worship for me. No, no, no. He gave me a mouth. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to bless him anyhow. So he told that man, if you believe, it'll change what comes out of your mouth. I know you heard a negative word. I know it had facts. It had opinions. But man, believe in me and trust me. And then Jesus went on to say to him, she will be made well. So now he's speaking it. Before it happens. Is that what the text says? She will be made. Well, that's my God. Not, I hope she going to make it. She might make it. Maybe if we give her a particular kind of medicine, maybe she'll come. No, no, Jesus said with confidence, she will be made well. Jesus spoke it before he manifested it. Has this ever happened to you? Has God ever put something in your heart to speak it? I'm going to get the job. I know right now I don't have it. I know right now I got resumes out. I'm going to get a job because I'm in his will, because he wants a man to work. And so I'm praying according to his will. And whatever I ask according to his will, which is based upon his word, he's going to give it to me. Now, it may not be the kind of job that I want, but he's going to make sure that I'm working because it might be a step to the next job that I want. So, so yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, I'm going to speak it before I get it. I had to do that when I was in school for my doctorate. There were so many days I didn't think I was going to make it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it. But, I, but the Lord, he showed me how to pray. And when you pray in the spirit, that's praying being led by the spirit of God. And the Lord was leading me to say, get that unbelief out of your mouth and start believing because faithful is he who calls. Did I call you to go to school? Yes. Then I will do it. Claim the word. So I started seeing myself on graduation day, sitting out on the, in the uh, courtyard in my cap and gown. I started seeing it in my mind. I started speaking that I'm going to make it. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be there. And guess what? Your boy was, I said, even if it rained, I'm going to be there. And guess what? Your boy was out there in the rain in May because I had the faith to speak and believe what God said I was going to do. He said, you're going to graduate. And I said, yes, Lord, I will. So I started speaking it too. Amen. You got to speak what he tells you to speak. 
Oh, you say, okay, that's still not enough. Genesis 22, 5. Okay, you want more? I'm going to give you more from the Old Testament. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. God told him to go kill his son. That's how the chapter started. Go sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham knew this was a test. But I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to murmur. I'm not going to question God. Now, he didn't say nothing to Sarah when he got up and took that boy. He got up early and said, come on, let's go, because he knows Sarah would have said, no, you ain't taking my boy. Where are you taking him? So he takes a three-day journey up to the mountain to slay his son because God told him. Even when it didn't seem like it made sense, he trusted he goes up to the mountain, and before they climb, he says to the servants, my son and I, we're going up, and my son and I are coming back. I know God told me to kill him, but my son and I are going up, and I'm speaking it, we're coming back. Why am I speaking it? Because God told me it's in Isaac that your seed is going to be called. He's the son of promise. I waited 25 years for this boy. God, and matter of fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 lets us into the mind of Abraham. And Abraham said that if I was to kill him on that day, I knew that God was going to raise him from the dead that day. And so therefore, me and the boy are coming back. I'm saying we're coming back. I'm saying we're going to make it through this trial. But fear comes and says, don't you speak and declare by faith who God is. Don't you do it. No, I've got to do it. I remember I was in a test like this when my daughter, my youngest daughter was born. And she was born prematurely, two pounds, four ounces. And she, my wife was on bed rest for six weeks. And when my daughter was born, she was placed in an incubator. And the doctors come because they're supposed to do this. And they tell you all the things that could go wrong. How she could suffer with this. How she might not have that. And, and, and so I'm listening to the facts. But God put something in my spirit called faith. And, and when I went to the word, I was reading one day and I came across John 1.17 that the law came through Moses and the law brings death. But grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. So I kept reading that and God kept me there on that passage because my daughter's name is Charis. And that's the Greek word for grace. So the Lord was like, you claim this passage for your daughter. And every day you come over here to this hospital and she's in that incubator, you speak words of life over her. Yeah, the law and death may have come through Moses, but charis and truth have come through Jesus Christ. But grace, charis and truth have come through Jesus Christ. But charis has come through Jesus Christ. Oh, and my baby made it through that thing. Came home on oxygen. She ain't on oxygen no more. She had to have these little stilts put on her legs. She don't wear them things anymore. We had faith. We didn't throw in the towel when she was in the incubator. And if for some reason I'm ever in some kind of situation like that, y'all better be praying words of faith and life over me because I love my wife because Paul said to live is Christ. I want to keep living for Christ. Don't you say, man, pastor lived a good life. I ain't dead yet. You pray for me. He going to heaven. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be there for all eternity. I want to live a little bit more down here. I love my family. I love some of y'all. So pray for me. <laughs> Faith overrides the facts. Dorena, get ready. I don't know what you're going through, Strong Tower. Faith overrides the facts. I don't know what the facts are telling you, but faith overrides the facts. All I know is that if you have the faith, God has the power. That, that's all I want to say to you. And some of you won't see the power because you don't have the faith. It don't take all that. Well, maybe not for you, but for Jairus, it took all that. I'm falling on my knees and I'm begging in public. What will it take to see God do that miracle in your life? It's going to take faith. Faith overrides the facts. The facts. Two fish and five loaves of bread was all they had to feed 5,000 people. But here comes a miracle which came by faith. Jesus turned it into enough to feed 5,000 people. It was a fact the walls of Jericho were broken down for over 100 years, but the miracle, God put the walls back up in 52 days. It was a fact the walls of Jericho were seemingly impenetrable, but the miracle, God knocked the walls down after the people just shouted unto him with the voice of triumph. 
It's a fact. Gideon's army was outnumbered, 300 to 135,000. But the miracle is that God brought about an awesome victory for Gideon. It's a fact the disciples were in a storm on a sea. It's a miracle that Jesus rebuked the storm in his time. It's a fact that Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. But the miracle is that David defeated him with the sling and the stone. It's a fact that Israel was trapped at the Red Sea. But the miracle is that after Moses lifted his hands, God parted the sea. And it's a fact that there was a man named Jesus who lived and died. So much so that your money is dated upon him. A.D. and B.C. After Domini or after the dominant one after Christ, B.C. before Christ. They try to put an E on it before the common era. But no, every time you date your paper in school, even if you go to the most secular university in the world, whenever you say 2016, you are giving homage to the fact that a man named Jesus was born at a time and place. It's a fact, but the miracle lets me know that on the third day, he got up from the grave. And the reason why I know he's alive, because as Nicole C. Mullen said, I talked to him this morning, and I know he's alive and well. So the facts tell me one thing, but my faith produces miracles, and the miracles override the condition. Next week, we're going to do something special. You don't want to miss next week. Baby, come on up here. You don't want to miss next week? Because you're going to testify. We're going to have a, a different kind of testimonial service next Sunday. And uh, we got some folks. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So we're going to do this in such a way. We're not only going to say it in here. We're going to say it out there in the world. Because I need my photographers to get ready next week to take some pictures. Because we're all going to, matter of fact, I got 25 people I'm asking to testify next week. I got 25. Where are my little cards at? Okay. Hold on, babe. Hold on. Don't go nowhere. Vanna Black. Don't go nowhere. You're going to flip that card in a minute. You're going to flip that card. What's going to happen? Next week, we're going to talk about what the facts say. And if God's done anything in your life, we're going to give him glory and talk about the miracles that he's done in spite of the facts. We're going to testify about the goodness and the power of our God next week. So, babe, you ready to start one? The fact. In 1995, a pastor told me that a multiracial church won't work. But what's the miracle? It's 2016, and it's still working. It's fact. 2013, the YMCA found mold. What did I say, babe? And we had three weeks to find another place to worship. What's the miracle? Know what the facts said. The Lord provided the money and the building we're in right now. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reverend Bell, Garrett, who we want? Karis. Karis, get up here. So, so, Jewel, watch this. Next week while we're worshiping, we're just going to walk up to the stage with some of these signs, okay? And we're going to hold them up like this, the fact. My baby says, I was born at 26 weeks, weighed two pounds, four ounces, spent 14 weeks in the NICU, and came home on oxygen with a list of possible, uh, what did I say, baby? Complications. Now, flip it over, honey. What's the miracle? I'm growing wonderfully as an active 12-year-old. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. What else we got, babe? What else we got? Come on. Because we're not going to be the only ones testifying. I think God did something in your life, too. Sarah? All right. What's the facts say? Church, can you read it? Two doctors. Rev, you read it. Two doctors said my wife could not carry a baby the full term. We carried two in our hearts through adoption, and she carried two full term. Amen. 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 Do we have more? Ralston family. Come on, y'all stand right here. Y'all stand right here. So get ready. Get ready. We're going to ask you next week. This is participatory worship. Y'all coming up on the stage too? Come on. Come on, come on, come on. We're just trying to encourage some people who are struggling in their faith right now because God is no respective person. I know it's 1210. Somebody go loose the kids. Bring them in here. 
Your team probably ain't winning anyway, so hold on. No, speak life. The Titans are winning. The Titans are winning. All right, Ross, this is what we got. After six months in jail and four years on probation, I was told it would be hard to find a good job to support my family. What's the miracle, brother? For 16 years, I've had a great job with an excellent company and been the sole supporter of my family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fact. After having one child, I was diagnosed with cancer and told not to have any more children. Miracle. God wasn't done growing our family and brought us Zach and Micah through adoption. Amen. <clears throat> Fact, my girl Grace, doctors told me I had degenerative disc disease in 2014. What's the miracle, honey? After tons of prayer, we asked for a second opinion from a specialist and found out it was a misdiagnosis. Okay. Here we go, Big Zach. My birth mom had a difficult time delivering me. I went without oxygen for three and a half minutes, and the doctors didn't think I would live. What's the miracle, man of God? I am 13 years old, five foot 10 inches, and I have the best smile in the world. Amen. Micah, the brain tumor returned. My family wondered how we would make it through another one financially, emotionally and spiritually. What's the miracle, young man? God had a plan for me. World-class treatment at no cost through St. Jude, family, friends, and our church family came alongside and prayed me through. Come on, y'all, come on. Yeah, stand to your feet, come on. Stand to your feet. So this is what we're gonna do. I got 25 cards here. I got almost 25 pence. If you want to participate in what's going to happen next Sunday, what's going to happen is during worship, you're just going to come up on the stage. You're going to hold your sign. We're going to read it. No one's going to read it. You're just going to hold it up. 